Please go. So let's go to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. <coughs> title of this message is, I Will Show You a Mystery. We're going to read uh, this portion of scripture um, from 1 Corinthians. Very, 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 very familiar. We've had a lot of teaching and preaching on it. I'm not going to preach all this. We're going to read it, and I want you to have it in the back of your mind, what's being talked about, about this, the, the resurrection. But we're not going to get much farther than the, the, that phrase, behold, I show you a mystery. And uh, there are some things in life that are not worth knowing. There are a lot of things that are worth knowing. And some things God has put in his Bible that he's given us from, from time past, uh, a revelation, increasing revelation of Bible truth. Um, this phrase, uh, this word mystery is, shows up 27 times in the, Old, in the New Testament. And it refers to different times to the mystery of the kingdom, mystery of Christ, the mystery of God and godliness. But what we're going to be looking at is the mystery of the bodily resurrection of the saints. And what, um, because here it says, he says, behold, I show you a mystery. That there's been, what, what God was saying here, I am going to give you now some increased, some new revelation about something that, been talked about in the past, but we haven't had, you haven't had this knowledge before. Something that he wanted the people then, wants people today to know and understand about. Um, there are some authors who became quite famous and wealthy writing mystery novels. Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle penned the Sherlock Holmes series, Rex Stout had his Nero Wolf. And Earl Stanley Gardner wrote the very successful Perry Mason stories. And all these sleuths, they used wit and wisdom to discover hidden truths. And they were, as far as I know, successful every time. I don't think Perry Mason ever lost a case. But, you know. But they used physical data that was available, and they sought clues to give them an expected end, the solution of the mystery. And almost without exception, this came right at the end of the narrative. And similar to like on the uh, Valentine's uh, Day banquet, we had played the clue game. And <coughs> we were presented with some challenges, some, some clues. And then you had to ferret out and try and figure out who the guilty party was. Guilty party wasn't here, so we can't point at uh, <laughs> that person. But it was very, very interesting. That's in some, in some cases, Scientific induction is used to, to prove truth. But what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the Word of God, the Bible, as our only reference now, and trying to get to see the mindset that, that people had before, even before this time, because God says, I'm going to show you something more. There's been something that's some, some uh, that word uh, from, the, from the Greek, or from the, it was a mysterion, and it meant... It meant that there was something that was shut out, that was secret, um, something that, that needed to have expanded revelation about. Um, and it, one of the terms was, it, it was, uh, it's meant like to shut the mouth 
or it, was some, it came through a mystery with the idea of silence that was imposed by revelation into religious rites. Very, very interesting thought from the, from the, Greek, the Greek mindset on that. And, you know, like in the, the Masonic Lodge, they have initiation rites to get into it. And uh, <clears throat> very, very interesting, the Masonic Lodge, most people only go through the first three stages, and to them it's, it's nothing much more than an Elks, Lions Club, or something like that, a social club. So you can advance through 32 different levels. The end, the end levels are, are overtly satanic. I know this from a fact. I got a hold of one of their handbooks years ago, and it talked much about that. But in the same way, Christians are initiated into the family of God, and then they become su subject to this, to be a part of the family that is one day going to experience this, this bodily resurrection. Only those that have been born into God's family will have that option. Everybody else, well, they're going to read here, we're going to have a, an incorruptible body that will spend eternity. And the lost person, when they leave this world, they're gonna, <coughs> their sin is going to become like a cancer to them. And they're going to carry that stinking, filthy body with them into hell. And it's, it's going to burn and roast. And it's going to have ache and pain and sorrow their whole, the rest of eternity. Because of the lack of making a choice become a part of God's family. So let's just read, and then we'll go ahead and make a few brief comments here. <clears throat> the Bible says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, and we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on the incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray and we'll continue. <clears throat> wonderful God, we thank you for the, the truth, the wonderful truths that are contained in your word, particularly this 50th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Lord, uh, Come what may, uh, we have a steadfast hope in the things of, uh, that you've set before us, those that have uh, become to be a part of your family. Lord, that we have a, the sure knowledge of a heavenly home, that one day this, this, this sin-sick body of ours will uh, be renewed. We're not going to have any part of this body, God. I know it's going to be something, a spiritual body, that we'll be able to experience uh, the wonders of heaven, Lord, uh, to be in your special presence. Even that, Lord, is a glory uh, uh, almost beyond belief. I just pray, God, though, you'd help us to know and understand about this mystery that you've given us, 
Lord, to understand more about that it would not become uh, something that we would question, Lord, but it's something that we would take as a part of our spiritual life and knowledge. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So <clears throat> the commentator Ironside wrote in, in relating to this matter of the, the Masonic cult, it, it, uh, I understand that, that through, uh, especially the, the southern United States, many, many uh, Masonic lodges were founded and uh, I guess it was pretty common for many people that were in Southern Baptist churches to be part of the Masonic Lodge and not knowing truly what it was about. Very, very interesting, you know, they just tore down the Masonic Lodge here. It was over off the river. That was, the Masonic Lodge was the first frame building, non-log cabin building that was built in Fairbanks by the Masons. <laughs> the commentator Ironside wrote, the only lodge I have ever joined is the Grand Army of the Redeemed. I was initiated into that by being born again. And then the Holy Spirit conducted me from chair to chair and revealed the mysteries as you have, have them here in the Word of God. And it's like, you know, you and I, there's a lot of things that are not known to the, to the new Christian. <clears throat> and they don't come easy all the time, but as we expose ourselves to the, to the teaching, to hearing the preaching of God's word, we can then grow and the things that were unknown to us will no longer be mysterious, but they'll become known, a part of our knowledge. Mysteries in the Bible are solved only by reading and studying the word of God. Thus in the Old Testament, clues were given about the future bodily resurrection of the saints. And we're going to look at some of them in these passages. And that's why God said here in verse 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. He was going to give them expanded knowledge about this, the bodily resurrection of believers, adding on to the knowledge that they already had. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, we're going to be looking at from uh, Job chapter 19, if you don't turn over there, uh, you've heard this many, many times. I'm not going to try to preach on this too hard. I'd like to, but we're going to use that as a, as a start of this message to understand some of the mindset of the Old Testament, the, the pre-flood, even the pre-flood, post-flood saints. Most likely, Job lived around 2000 B.C., some centuries uh, after the flood, before the time of Abraham, some think he might have lived contemporary or sometime just past, or just before Abraham. But he knew a lot. And these are the benchmark verses of Scripture that, that believers had about the knowledge of the, the bodily resurrection of believers. But first of all, I <coughs> it should be apparent that divine laws and commandments were given long before Moses wrote the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There was a lot of Bible truth <coughs> that was known from the time of, of uh, the fall of man, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God showed them that, that, that he was going to send a deliverer that would put to death Satan, and though Satan would, and that this deliverer would not be held by death himself, though he would die, that he would not be held by that death. 
And <clears throat> every individual in that, from, from that time on, were saved in, in believing the promise that God would provide a blood sacrifice. He would die and shed his own blood to make the payment for their sin. And so each and every saint, then to the time of the ministry of Jesus Christ, was holding to that promise <coughs> that God would provide that deliverer. And through time, and then in, in the New Testament, Old Testament, we know that, that this revelation about who that, who that uh, deliverer would be was expanded upon. That he would come from a virgin, where he would be born, and so on. And then it was fulfilled in, in Christ's birth. It says in Genesis 26, verse 5, it's because that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. This was times before Moses, but Abraham knew a lot of books. Also, we're going to see that this man, Job, again, he was the uh, post-flood patriarch. The Bible describes him as the most righteous man, a man that eschewed, loved, feared God, and eschewed evil. He was the richest man of his time, comparable to be maybe a billionaire today. Um, and God, you know, it, it, Job went through a lot in his life. And uh, there was something that Job was hanging on to when he went through the loss of his health, his wealth, his family, when he was sitting out in a, in a, in a pile of ashes, you know, scraping the boils on his body. What do you suppose was one of the things that, that kept him going? We're going to read about it right here in Job chapter 19. Pick up the commentary in verse 23. Could somebody get me a, a drink of water? I'm really dry right now. <clears throat> Job chapter 19 verse 23 says, Oh, that my words were now written, oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. Well, Job's... Uh, uh, prayer or request here was, was given. Certainly we know that. It was became a part of the canon of Scripture. And uh, from that we know that there was writing, there were books, books that he was using. I don't think he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, you know, Dick and Jane C. Spot stuff. He had scriptural books. Thank you very much. Oh, boy. Thank you. If I can't use it, I'll use it to water the plants. Thank you very much. But, he, but his words were, it says that they were graven with an iron pen, with a chisel, like a chisel, put it into the rock. Even like the tablets that, that uh, the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses, it says in that iron pan and lead in the rock. What they used to do, they would take after the, the, the they would chisel out or they would make write on it or they would do uh, engravings or so on. They would pour molten lead in there so that it would stand out more. Well, then he goes on. He says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Hmm. His Redeemer. He knew there was a Redeemer. He knew that he had a Redeemer. 
and he knew that he lives and that he's going to live, he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. Well, we don't really know yet when this latter day is, but we know, he says there in verse 26, for though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. What? Whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So this is one of the things that Job was holding on to when he was going through all that, those trials in his life. He knew that his Redeemer lived. He knew that he was going to die, but he knew that one day, he hadn't, seen the, he hadn't seen his Redeemer. Not in this world he hadn't seen him. He knew him from in his heart. He hadn't seen him physically, but he knew that one day he would. He said, in my flesh, I shall see him. And that's what he was holding on to. And that's what believers hung on to for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries and still continue to today and should. Because that promises that was given and that this, this information that was given by God to men then is as valid for us now as it was for Job then. And that can be just as great a comfort for us now as it was for him then. <clears throat> when you find yourself hanging on by your fingernails, when those, uh, when those storms and doubts and fears assail, there's always one to go to and one to hang on to and, and, and uh, trust. And he knew a lot. And he knew this, this matter about the latter day. Um, this is something that... Uh, we're still going to learn a little bit more about ourselves, but he knew that there was something coming in Scripture. It tends to show, we're going to see later on, this latter day is talking about a time of judgment. <coughs> we know that Job trusted God's word to the nth degree. He said in, in chapter 2, 23 verse 12, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Wow. Uh, what level of regard do you put on uh, the word of God? Hmm. Well, we should be like Job. That we put it, that, that, you know, we just filled up the tank over here to take care of the physical body, and we don't want to get uh, too far away from the table. So we know that the, uh, we need physical food to feed the physical body. We need spiritual food to feed the, the spiritual body. Or just like, you know, if you go too long without food, you're going to start hurting physically, right? You know, it, uh, the same way if we go too long without spiritual food, God's word, we're going to start to hurt spiritually. Uh, don't let that happen. Uh, because uh, it, you've always got the Bible. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. There might, be there might be even times when you can't put your hands on this book, but you better have some up here. Because the time may come when you need it. And you can go to it. And you can trust it. Turn back to Job chapter 14. I want to look at um, some scripture there. 
this portion of scripture that we're going to begin looking at, starting in verse 7, uh, it's an example of the use of periphery reading in the study of a verse. You remember sometimes back, Pastor Humphrey was teaching on Bible study methods. He says one of the tools you use is that when you go and you look at one verse, you know, you look around. You look around so you can get the full context of what's going on. Most commentators <coughs> reference verse 14 when they're talking about the bodily resurrection. Look down there quickly, verse 14. Job wrote, if a man die, shall he live again? A rhetorical question, but yeah. All the days of my appointed time will, will I wait till what? Till my change come. Mm. Talking about the bodily resurrection that he was referencing in, in verse 19. But I want you to pick up in verse 7. I want you to look and, and, hear, and read this. This is some of the most beautiful pictures of, of, uh, of examples of metaphor or figurative language that you'll ever see in describing the bodily resurrection. He says, for there is, for there is hope of a tree. Now, I want you to understand, he's in, in, the, in the spiritual sense, he's talking about himself or, or the human soul. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Through the root thereof, that through the root thereof, uh, wax old in the earth, and the stalk thereof die in the ground. Yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. Well, he's using the picture there that just like that tree. Does anybody cut off a willow? Okay, cut off a willow. Well, what's going to happen? But it says here that there's a hope of a tree, that even if it's cut down, it's talking about if, even if a man dies, that there can be hope of life again. Look at that phrase, the tender branch. You know, Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, he says, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. I don't know if there's any parallel there, but it says, I'm just saying, but it says that tender branch thereof will not cease. If it's talking about the human soul, it says it's, it's not going to cease. Once it's been born again, once it's been made spiritually alive again. You see? Verse 10, it says, but man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? <coughs> well, as the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth, and drieth up, so man lieth down, and riseth not, till the heavens be no more. Hmm. Hmm. What do we know, what do we know about the latter day and judgment day? Hmm. They shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that they wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldst keep me secret until thy wrath be fast. Oh, there's another clue. When the bodily resurrection is going to occur, when his wrath is past, the time of judgment is going on, and <clears throat> in the latter days. He says, that thou wouldst appoint me a set time and remember me. And he says, if I, man dies, shall he live again? Well, you can, if we've been born again. 
you can have the sure knowledge of everlasting life and the promise of that you one day you'll go through this, this resurrection, the bodily resurrection to have the sin, a sinless, perfect body in eternity. The saints in heaven don't have this yet. We're going to see this in a little bit. He says there, till I wait till my change come. Well, what did we just, uh, what did we just read in chapter 50, in, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51? Behold, I will show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be all changed. Well, where did that come from? Right there in our Job. The, the believers knew that. They knew and understood about those things. That God gave them knowledge and understanding. They were carrying on with their life. But they could know the blessing of, of this sure truth. That, that from the moment in time they believed their salvation, their destination for their soul was heaven. But even greater than that, that one day they would be able to be in the presence of their very God, their Redeemer, their Savior, and they would see him not just in spiritual form, but in, but in, in, in a sinless, perfect body. They would be able to be in his special presence. Well, I, see... For me, I had a lot of time to read this scripture and, and to ponder upon it. And to me, it was just wondrous and awesome to think about that. You understand that, that Job was writing about this in the way that he did because people understood what he was talking about. They already understood about the, resur the bodily resurrection. They already knew the way of salvation. And so when he used this beautiful figurative language, they're going, wow, this is so good. This is for me. This is for us. Because they were going through things in their life too. Don't think that, that in Job's day or any day that the Christians have had a primrose path. Can you imagine what it was like to be Noah and his, and his family Facing what they did during those days when the whole world was around them was going to the going to hell. What did they have to hold on to? Their salvation and the and the promise that one gave that they would be in the very presence of God, enjoying his presence, worshiping in a sinless perfect body. What do you suppose it was that kept all those millions of saints that were, that were martyred for their faith during the thousand years of uh, dark ages under the Catholic Church? What do you suppose what kept them going? Well, their salvation, surely, but the, but the promise of their heavenly home and what they had coming. That they would be, and they could just say in their heart, I know this. I know in, in the truth that I'm going to be with my God one day and I'm going to have close personal fellowship with him in the flesh, that I'll see my Savior, that I'll enjoy his presence for now and eternity. <clears throat> David knew about this, and he spoke of the resurrection thusly. Psalm 49, verse 15, he said, But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. And Psalm 71, verse 20, he says, Thou which thou hast showed me great and sore troubles shall quicken me again, and shall bring me up again from the depths of the earth. 
David knew some stuff. Um, he knew exactly what Job was writing about. He knew what exactly what the prophets had written about. The prophet Hosea, in chapter 13, verse 14, he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Now listen. O death, I will be thy plague. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. That last phrase, repentance shall be hid from mine eyes, means God says, I will not change my mind about this. You understand? Where, did you, where do you hear this? Verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? God was simply paraphrasing what the prophet Hosea had written about years ago. And it was because of the general knowledge of this doctrine amongst believers that after the death of her brother, Lazarus, Martha could confidently say, uh, Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so they knew, and believers of Jesus' day were holding on to that very truth. Martha knew a lot of more. But then again, a lot of believers did. This was something that was shared with them. It was taught and preached. Because every person that's been a part of God's family needs to know and understand about this. This is what we have to hold on to. This has been a strength for people then and people now. Not all people, of course, believe that. Not all Jews did. Uh, in Acts 23, verse 8, it says, But the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Well, they used to say that because the, the, the Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife, in spiritual life, that's why they were so sad, you see. Well, Jesus revealed that he would not only be the author of salvation, but also of the bodily resurrection of the saints. This is another clue to the mystery. See, down through time, they knew that he was going to be God, that he was going to appear at the last day, that it may be a time of tribulation and trouble, but nobody really knew who this Messiah was or who this deliverer was who was going to be the author of this bodily resurrection. Then in John chapter 6, verse 40, then another piece to this mystery is brought into play. <clears throat> Jesus said, And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the first time that, the, that that element of the bodily resurrection became known. Remember? God was saying in, in 1 Corinthians, Behold, I show you a mystery. He wanted, he wanted people to know and understand that th these things are here for us to know and understand. That no longer do you have to, is that, should that be a mystery about the way salvation and the promises that, that, uh, that a believer can hold on to about this matter of the bodily resurrection. 
Then Paul wrote further, you know very, very well, we're, we're going to read over this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. He says, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that have died, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, Pastor Humphreys, used, I'm going to use this illustration. You know, he's talked numbers of times about the closeness that he had with his father, how he talked to his dad every Sunday. And uh, he was a dad. But he talked about, too, about when his father passed away and he went down and he was grieving and uh, with the family and everything about. And it was hard. It was very hard. But he, but he told me, and he was always witness, that the thing that helped, that helped him and kept him going was he knew he was going to see his father again someday. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? For the believer, uh, it's not there. Our victory is in through our, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the promises that he have, has for us in his redemption and the bodily resurrection. Even if he was, <laughs> Jesus went to that real grave. He died a real death. He came out of the tomb in that resurrected body, which I'm led to believe is through exactly like what we're going to have. Think about that. Sinless, perfect body. He was able to appear here, appear there. He could eat. He could enjoy the things of this world. People looked on him, held his hand again. But a new body, that kind of body that we're going to have one day, that believers will have. And then it says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Now this is another part, this is another clue. This is some more of the mystery that's being revealed here. Never been known before. But God is revealing it here for us. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those that have already gone before us. Then we which were alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. <clears throat> Hang on that last verse. Wherefore, well, the bottom line, after you have this, after you have this sure knowledge of where you're going to go, when you're going to go, where you're going to go, why you're going to go, comfort one another with these words. <coughs> we know that um, right now Christians aren't going through very much in our country for their faith, around the world. Saints are being martyred every day at the hands of Muslims, wherever, Russia. I hate to be a Christian in Russia. And in China, I'm sure there's Christians disappearing every day in China. There's lots of, there are lots of Christians in China. But they don't have the opportunity to worship as we do. But 
we can take comfort in the fact that when whether we die and go to heaven or whether we're in this world and take part of this of this rapture when we're taken out of this world we're going to go for something to the and experience something that's absolutely marvelous and wonderful so with these words we have most of the mysteries of the resurrection solved all that remains is exactly when in this timeline of eternity that this will happen um, we're looking this way uh, five years ago I would have said I wouldn't even you know good to go till I'm a hundred or whatever I mean you know if I live to be a hundred but uh, sometimes I wonder if the if the world's got another ten years. I hope so. I hope for some of you young ones' sake, there is hope that we've got tomorrow because the Lord could call us home even now. Jesus said, "Take heed, take ye heed, and watch and pray for ye know not." when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded his porters to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. Well, believers are told to watch and be prepared. You know, we, we want to be like that person working out in the field. That when, we, that, that when we look up, and here he comes. We're found doing his work. That's the greatest blessing we can know. But for the lost person, now you've got to know and understand something. Hell is wide open. To the lost person. If you haven't believed on Christ as your Savior, what we've been talking about, you have no part of. You have no hope for heaven. You have no hope for a heavenly home. You have no hope of a resurrection body that you'll spend eternity with, with God. What you have looking for is hell and pain and suffering in a corruptible body that's utterly filthy and abominable before God. You'll never see the light of day. You'll never see the light of day. Why would anybody choose to live in separation from God because of their sin debt? Why would anybody in their pride say that I can make my own way? Why would anybody with any conscience want to put themselves through something of unbelievable torture and misery simply because they choose not to repent and believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior? When the Bible says, at times of this ignorance, God winked at, but he, he's, he's patient, but he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. <clears throat> Genesis 1.1, he, he established his authority to rule and reign in this whole universe. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. That makes him the king. He rules and he reigns as he wills. You need to make your will his will. He is willing that none should perish, 
people, that all would come to him. And so it may be that in this moment in time, that the Holy Spirit, that God is talking to you about the matter of your salvation, that you don't know for sure that you're headed to heaven in this moment in time, you need to get sure. All you need to do is make that real time, real time, that real time step of faith where you simply make the choice to believe on him as your God and Savior, to make him the Lord of your life. The Bible says if we confess our sins, the lost person, you need to man up or woman up. You need to understand that you're not going to get by on your own strength, that if you step off into eternity lost, there's no backing up. This is not a video game. This is not a video game. You can push the button and start over again. You don't get a do-over. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. And for the lost person, the Bible says they're, you're condemned already because you have not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says it's woe to them that count the blood of the Son of God as nothing. You need to be thinking about and get away from so much of this, the physical plane. You need to start thinking this way. Vertical plane, spiritual plane. That, that soul, that spirit, that is your person and your personality is going to exist for eternity, time without end, in one of two places, heaven or hell. Make the choice, even now, to put your faith in Christ, that you can know the blessings of eternal life, and that you can claim, as Job, to say that I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that at the latter days, I shall be, I'll see, see him in my flesh. I shall see God. Do you have any room for Jesus in your heart? Do you have any room for him right now? Are you willing to come to him, lost person, and say, forgive me, God? want to be a part of your family. Can you do that? I'm not going to ask you to come up here. I'm going to ask you to make the choice right now where you're sitting right before God to confess your sins and know the greatest thing you're ever going to know in this life is the gift of everlasting life. Speak with God. Let's pray the Holy Spirit will keep working with you. I have made the choice believe on him that you would in this moment in time. Is that comforting? Do you have anything?